there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Sex trying to get loose. He'll fire. He knocks it down. Carl slammed it home. Garland upstairs. Oh! Six in his side. A thunderstorm. And Allen blocked the shot at the rim. Welcome to the Chase Down Podcast, part of the Cast Media family. I'm your host, Justin Rowan. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Zoom. Half a million businesses connect using Zoom, a single platform for phone, chat, workspaces, events, apps, and video. Zoom enables real-time collaboration for teams around the globe. Zoom, how the world connects, and connecting with me now live via Zoom in the first time in what feels like a while is my co-host, Carter Rodriguez. Carter, how you doing, buddy? Doing good. Thanks for holding down the fort for me. Had an emergency business trip out to L.A. Mm. Uh, you had an awesome guest, which I was super jealous I missed, and Chris Fedor. So if you if you missed that pod, please go back and listen to it. Plenty of very, very good tidbits drop. But just, you're burying the lead. First first live pod with the new paint job on, <laughs> on the on the brand package. The, the gold is back for the chase down as well. I'm I'm very excited about that. And and honestly, we didn't have a chance to talk about it. You and I, uh, how how you like the Cavs rebound, how you like this new look, uh, how you feeling, man? I love it. Uh, love me some hoop V. I think this gold is much better suited um, for kind of uh, pairing with other colors. Um, I always felt like that. Mu- yeah, I mean they. You know, luckily the team already made the joke, so I can make it too. And you know, the mustard, you know, the the wine and mustard, it's yeah. not exactly a, a pairing that you typically uh, look for. Um, and I think it just it's just gonna flow, you know. And obviously, they kind of excise navy from the package, which I'm like I'm okay with. Uh, you know, black black is kind of the the new tertiary color for the team, uh, or maybe not new, but you know, solidified as the primary tertiary mm-hmm. which is a stupid way of saying a very simple thing <laughs> um but you know i do think you know with this with this color this new color scheme i actually think it opens the door for different kinds of pairings like that beautiful white hoodie we got with the gold hoop v lettering like i think that looks really really nice i don't think it would have looked nice with the mustard if they mm-hmm. ever decide to go get a little crazy and bring back some like some of the, the baby blue that they've had featured in their brand package in the past. I think that would ma- match really, really well with this new gold. So overall, I, I, I'm a big fan. I think the Hoop V is, I mean, that's my particular favorite logo. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought it was a nice nod, but it felt modern enough. And, yeah. you know, so ultimately, I, I think it's a win. I, I, I wasn't an enormous fan of the brand package prior, and now I am. I'm definitely more likely to get to get and wear Cavs gear around. And if that's not the goal, what is? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited about it. I can't wait to see the jerseys. And because the NBA news cycle is constant, in the, I guess it's been three weeks since we podcasted together, there's already been two changes to the Cavs coaching staff. Uh, The Luke Walton hiring, which I talked about with Chris Fedor on the last episode. And since then, Greg Buckner has been uh, promoted to associate head coach. So 
Um, I, I think this news was a little surprising for some people, just with Luke kind of being that new hire. I, I think people kind of assumed that that would be the role. But it's not surprising to me, uh, just given the fact that when JB was unavailable to coach, as well as when he got kicked out uh, or ejected uh, from one of the games for arguing against the egregious calls that the Cavs were dealing, I think that was a, a cumulative frustration uh, from the whole year. Uh, Greg Buckner was the one that stepped up there and was the coach in that situation. So it kind of feels like um, the making something a little more formal of what was already the case. But, um, you know, I've heard uh, Chris talk about it on, on his podcast of how he's been credited for a lot of kind of the, the growth the Cavs showed on the defensive end of the court. And this just feels like a, another example of the team retaining talent. Uh, I think we saw a very similar thing when Kobe Altman was uh, promoted to president and then Mike Gainsey uh, up to general manager. So I, it kind of feels like a similar thing where they added to the coaching staff uh, with Luke Walton without removing anyone that I'm aware of. And now you, you have the uh, promotion of Greg Buckner. Yeah, this is what happens, you know, in the corporate world. You know, you have a good quarter. Uh, good, good stretch of performance. You get, you get rewarded. You know, mm -hmm. someone like Buckner gets gets a little bump. Someone like Gansey gets a little bump. And you know, this is that you know you want to build that kind of culture as a company, whether you're you're selling ice cream or you're or you're trying to build an NBA championship winning team as one where you know your high performers are rewarded with you know better titles, better pay, etc. And uh, you know, so uh, big shouts to, to to Coach Buckner. Um, it. You know, obviously, we're never going to be fully privy to the inner goings on of, of of an NBA coaching staff. You know, let alone even really. I mean, most of the time, we don't even know what their roles are. But mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think you, I think you kind of put the nail on the head here. Like this was this was their acting head coach when JB wasn't available, and um, he did great work. So yeah. uh, much like, uh, I mean. If there's ever an off season to get me uh, to have me happy about any front office retention. Uh, of, of talent <laughs> it's this one because right? i think everyone's everyone did a killer job last year yeah i i mean that seems to be the major theme right like you, the reason you do these kind of moves whether it's on the coaching staff or in the front office is to retain talent and as the Cavs turn around their perception around the league people are going to want to hire the guy that was a part of it, right? Like it's just this uh, thing that we see across coaching, across every sport, uh, across front offices. Like that's just kind of the way that this goes. And uh, there isn't a salary cap when it comes to the coaching staff or the front office and things like that. So it, it's nice to see that talent retained. As you mentioned, we're, we're never really going to know kind of how stuff is delegated, but it's not clear cut like football where you have an offensive play. You could have an offensive coordinator call a call kind of thing. It's about having a lot of voices, a lot of people working towards the same goal. And it's encouraging to, to see the Cavs continue to retain this talent. And you hope that the addition of Luke Walton as another voice, another person that can add perspective, um, is just going to continue to help this core grow. Um, but one thing I really wanted to get into, Carter, because the, the last time we talked has basically been a month ago now. We need to get into our draft boards because obviously you are impressionable like I am. Uh, our takes change very quickly. We fall fast. We fall hard. Uh, and our draft boards are going to change. So I, I thought it would be a fun exercise if you and I pretended there are eight players off of the board right now. 
let's say Chet, Jabari, Paolo, Ivy, Murray, Daniels, Sharp, and Duran are all off the board. I want us to go through our top 10 guys remaining Cavs specific. So not in a vacuum, not related to like who we think is the best prospect, highest ceiling, what we want basically out of the remaining draft class. Before we do that, I got to ask, is it Paolo? I, I believe so. I thought it was just Paolo. I, I might be can, wrong. Can someone fact check us here? <laughs> I, I've never heard of Paolo in my life. Uh, and Paolo is a pretty common name. <laughs> you know what? Just, I think you might be wild, wild in a bit here. I, I might be doing too much, Carter. It, it wouldn't I think, be the I first think, I, think, I think maybe you need to be exposed to, uh, to a more diverse <laughs> population there, Justin. You know, Toba's not doing it for you. Yeah, there, there are uh, there are some drawbacks uh, of of growing up in Winnipeg, and one so, of them is. So, so please, if you're if you're in the chat on YouTube or uh, listening, <laughs> go ahead and uh, I mean, I'm happy to be wrong here, guys. <laughs> I think Justin's admitting a name. I, um, I might be. I might. But be. yeah, let, let's dive into it. Obviously, you know, um, anyone uh, actually, with the exception of probably Jalen Duran, but anyone else in that top eight that might drop chat jabari paolo uh, (laughs) ivy uh murray daniels or sharp Cavs are taking them you know like Mm -hmm. they are this is a group that's definitely a tier above everyone else with the exception i think of the guy that's number one on both of our boards uh that i think we might as well have should we go one by let's go one at a time i think that'd be fun yeah sure I think the the guy we have number one on our boards might as well be in this group because I think the chance of him getting out of the top nine even is almost zero. Hmm. And that's Ben Matherin from, from Arizona. He is the perfect fit. He, he can play a little defense. He's got good wing size. He can shoot. It, it almost it like it almost is hard for me to to dream of someone that could fit better. And just I just don't think he can he can drop. I think yeah. in and it's a situation where even if he makes it to 10, 11, 12, I think teams will start to go trade up for him after mm-hmm. a certain point. Yeah. Any any I, disagreement on that one? No, uh, no, no disagreement. Uh the the one important factor that you have mentioned is Canadian. Um he he is a, a big Canadian wing that can shoot, defend. He's a great athlete. Like like you said, he he's basically made in a lab to address kind of the needs that the, I think the Cavs have at the small forward position. He is a perfect small forward, and uh, that kind of ties into who we both have, uh, just cheating and looking off our boards, uh, which is A.J. Griffin as the number two. Again, uh, there are the concerns about his health. Um, the, the defense wasn't there, uh, although Duke's kind of defense as a whole was a bit of a mess. Uh, kind of the the responsibilities that everybody had, it was hard to figure out what was going on. Um the defense doesn't concern me uh, when it comes to AJ Griffin. I mean, you look at the reputation that Larry Markinen had prior to coming over to the Cavs, and I don't think anyone thought that he could play at the three. And within the Cavs system, with kind of the structure that's in place, I would not have a concern about that. Obviously, the the health concerns are not ideal. We won't know the full extent of his medicals or the degree of confidence that teams have. Uh, but if that were to cause him to fall, I think you still take that swing similar to what Denver did with Michael Porter Jr. because the Cavs are in a very similar position to Denver at that time. The Cavs already had kind of the guy 
the the franchise big man. They they had the the point guard of the future as well. Uh, they have a lot of young talent and a, a lot of guys that can still through internal growth become major difference makers. And that's why I would take the swing uh, for AJ Griffin if he were to fall to 14, which I think is still very unlikely just because of the the size, the shooting, the upside the that pedigree. Yeah, his dad the, played in the NBA. I I will say this: the fact that <laughs> the fact that his dad is such a brilliant defensive mind and his defense was so bad at Duke is a little bit of a red flag, but not enough for me to uh, to not want him should he be available. Yeah, I just. I just feel like college is one of those weird things with defense where like sometimes it really matters that you're not a good defender in college and then sometimes it doesn't really matter, you know? And, and like when I look at AJ Griffin, uh, our, our, you know, I think our number one draft guru right now between the two of us is Adam Spinella uh, from the box and one. And if, if you do not subscribe to a sub stack, you absolutely should. I've been learning so much from this guy, brilliant basketball. And he's only, he's had him all the way down at 15, and I'm not sure I terribly agree with that on his big board because I think he, in a way, was a little bit of the victim of how much talent that Duke team had. Like I think they have four or five projected first rounders yeah. uh, in this draft right now. Um, and I think he, you know, I, this is not a comparable skill set kind of guy, but I think of a guy like Devin Booker, who at Kentucky, playing on a very, very loaded team, was the shooter. That's what his role was. So mostly we saw him shoot, like maybe some off the dribble juice, but that just wasn't his job. And as a result, he got to Phoenix and we were like, whoa, you are way, way, way better than we thought you were. And I wonder if that's going to happen with Griffin. I think it's a really, this is the, the first guy that I'm really fixating on on the board, Justin, because he's got enough red-ish flags, let's call them orange flags, mm-hmm. that you could foresee a drop, whether a team gets spooked by medicals. He didn't, uh, Kristen Peake, uh, who we had on the pod about a month ago, it feels like, told us, didn't weigh in at the combine. Um, you know, maybe there, maybe there's just something a little bit uh, amiss there that, you know, teams get get a little nervous and walk away mm-hmm. um, or, or fall in love with someone who, you know, has more green flags around them. But I feel like this is exactly the kind of swing pick the Cavs should be making at 14. I'm not worried about the injury history, obviously, unless they get some medicals that say some are really scary stuff because you, I'd rather take a swing at a guy who could be a really high-level starter on a really good team at the two or the three mm-hmm. um, than, you know, go with a safer pick. So he's definitely number two for me. Yeah, yeah, and... You may be fixating on him, but I got to be honest, my number three on, on the remaining board here is Johnny Davis, and I am fully fixated on him. Um, he was asked to do a ton at Wisconsin, and there was the ankle injury that may have had some impact on his health. But for me, you look at a guy with that level of basketball IQ, he's such a physical defender. He can defend one through four. Um, he, he's got the good wingspan. He's got the ability to create space. And honestly, that shot creation and that basketball IQ is such a difference maker for me. And I think you're going to see that as a common theme throughout my board is I'm really valuing playmaking at this point. Um, Ideally, you want to get kind of the big three and D wing, but having guys that can generate offense that can make life easier for everybody else, I think it elevates this roster. We saw what Jetty Osmond did with Ricky Rubio on the roster. 
And just having another guy that can create those easy shots. I think that makes life easier for Mobley, Okoro, Allen, Garland, all of these guys. He, to me, he even if he's maybe a little undersized to play the three, um, I think with his strength, his wingspan, um, you can definitely get him minutes there, especially when you look at, at the big man pairing that the Cavs have. Uh, to me, my absolute best case scenario that feels realistic with, without getting greedy, without thinking uh, that we can get Matherin for some reason, uh, it's it's Davis for me. Yeah, I, I think you made a really interesting comp uh, when we were talking about him, which is kind of a supercharged Delonte West type. Mm-hmm. You know, a guy who maybe isn't your primary ball handler, but has a ton of juice off the dribble, a ton of juice as a bucket getter, but also is a really smart player, a really good connector. I mean, people won't remember how good Delonte West was for some of those Cavs yeah. teams. There were series where he was their second best player. Yeah, and, 100%. Um, and, you know, the and obviously, you know, and, and you know, Obviously, uh, you know, good, best wishes to Delonte, but he had a lot of personal problems. And, you know, I think that's that's going to color the way people remember him. But he was a really, really great player. And you can totally see that archetype fitting on this team. Davis also is kind of a capital I intangibles guy. Oh, like yeah. everyone seems to love him. Big time leader. What is interesting to me is he's coming in with a reputation as a guy who can hit some catch and shoot threes. But the numbers aren't that good. Mm-hmm. there and i think if you are if you are projecting davis who by the way is my number three as well we're we're chalk and then we're gonna get crazy guys because we're way different <laughs> from there um uh you know i think that if you're looking at you know you're kind of projecting and saying oh maybe the ankle injury messed him up and also he was pretty much the only uh the only ball handler uh, on Wisconsin, he was the only creator. So you don't really always get fed the best diet of catch and shoot threes when you're the lead creator on your team. Yeah. So I'm hoping that that there's that there's more of a shooter than there than there than we saw because I think he is one of those guys who looks like a high floor guy, mm-hmm. but I do think those high floor guys that are a little small and a little shaky as shooters. There, there's a they're they're a little lower floor than we think sometimes i mean like ju- i mean and this is no indictment on his career but look at jalen suggs this last year he was considered the highest floor prospect the guy who's gonna come help right away and he couldn't shoot and he's small so he had a horrible rookie year mm-hmm. now i i don't i'm not out on jalen suggs by any means but like that is a thing i think you have to kind of account for with davis because i think they're kind of a similar archetype um but i still think from a talent perspective from a fit perspective from an intangibles perspective he's got to be number three um and he's quite a bit of fun so no Mm -hmm. complaints here who do you have at number four oh at number four i got malachi branham um, I am a sucker for a storyline, and he rates very, very high on my That Boy Nice meter. Um, he just, he, like, all the stories about kind of his maturity, the way that he's impressing teams in the workout, his understanding of, of basketball. Um, like, I, I understand that there's some overlap with Karis LeVert, but I, I just think that the, when you look at his ability to go out and score, uh, I think that's really, really special. He has great length. Honestly, the the fact that he basically measured the same size as Abaji uh, really kind of moved my perception of both players. And 
I, I just think that that shot creation, like I, I can see a role for him right away, even if he, he's coming in off the bench, which would likely be the case for no matter who they draft at 14. Um, but he's going to be able to hit open shots. I, I think that there's a lot that they can do use Branham uh, in, in ways that can unlock their offense and could be a lot of fun with that second unit. So for me, Branham's probably my number four. So I'm going to go ahead and say some things that are challenging. Okay. Um, it doesn't mean, uh, what, what's so nice is we, I, I wrote down 10 players on my big board and I would be fine. I could be pretty excited about all 10 of them. Oh, we, so, we should talk about your tweet about who you'd be uh, excited. Uh, with. I'll tell you who would be 11th. Um, we can get to that later though. So I have some pretty big concerns with Branham. Mm-hmm. Um, our boy, uh, Spinella has him all the way down at 28th on his big board. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's fair. I think it's a little too. Um, I, I think it's a little too harsh. But I do think there is some validity to it. Here, here's why. So I think one, you look at his wiggle off the bounce. It's just okay. Mm-hmm. He he takes wide driving angles, Justin. Um, he does not just you know dart to the rim uh, on on a beeline. He doesn't just blow past guys. Even like there are some highlights in the Spinella scouting video where he's got like big, big 10 power, lumbering power forwards and centers on him and around him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that that makes me nervous. Then you look at the fact that he his pull up range is not out to the three point arc yet, even in college. Mm-hmm. So he's that he, he might be a great catch and shoot option early, but I think the pull up is going to take time. So, I just think he's a little bit further away and the stuff he doesn't have, I'm not sure he's going to be able to get. I don't know if he's going to be a guy who's consistently cooking switches off the bounce. And if if you can switch a, an NBA big on to someone and they can't beat it, mm-hmm. like how valuable is your shot creation really? So yeah. like, I, again, I, I think that he has, I think, you know, it's funny. He is not considered a high floor prospect by a lot of people. He's considered the, the talent swing. But to me, I think he is a high floor prospect because if nothing else, put him in the corner, let him shoot wide open threes that yeah. Darius generates for him. So I think he would be helpful right away. I just, I'm not sure I see the shot creation um, star. I mean, I don't know about star potential, but I don't see the volume creation potential that, that others do with him right now. Yeah, but what really kind of sells me on him is the off the dribble jumper is good. It was around 44%. Uh, He is a good set shooter as well. And I think an important thing to factor into this is he is one of the younger players in this draft. And you look at some of the other prospects, like even someone like Matherin, who who I really like, took him a second year in college to actually show that he can be like a a first round talent or lottery pick talent. Um, A lot of the guys that we're going to talk about are second, third year guys. And I just think that there's untapped potential there. I think if he went back to college, he'd be a no doubt top 10 pick. And that kind of upside swing to me is really, really attractive. And as I said before, I'm a sucker for a storyline. I mean, at the end of the day, like I've already kind of fallen for this group that we currently have, which is a big part of why I'm an advocate for running it back. Uh, It's also a good part of why I'm very grateful that I'm not the one making decisions because I'm much too of an emotional fan to do such things. Uh, But I'm very in on Branham. Who do you have at number four, Carter? Uh I got Jalen Williams, man, and 
you know, by the reporting, it looks like the Cavs might think that that's a that 14's a little too rich mm-hmm. uh, for their blood for for a guy like Jalen Williams who has been a, a real riser in the draft process. Yep. Um, he small school guy. He's older. Um, not a great athlete, but you look at the you look at the size six five with a seven one seven two wingspan. So uh, you know you you can project that he's going to be a guy who can find some good angles even against better athletes. Um, he's an, a really really strong pick and roll uh, creator offensively. Mm-hmm. He is not a bailout get you a bucket guy. He 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 is not an elite ISO scorer. But I think the feel. The jump shooting uh, is good enough, uh, Justin. You, you'll, you've noted that the further he gets away from the arc, the worse the misses look. Yeah. So that that might be a mark against him as a shooter, but I think he can get there uh, just with you know some extra reps, some extra time because I think the form looks good. Um, I just really like his feel, and unlike Igbaji, who if you remember early on, I I said, oh, you know, like he seems like a great prospect, but why is a 22-year-old getting to a senior year at Kansas and now getting noticed? Right. You know, this is not that case. He's been playing in relative obscurity at Santa Clara. I mean, think about the long line of mid, of you know mid-major guards that didn't really get noticed till late. CJ McCollum uh, immediately jumps to mind. Damian Lillard jumps to mind. Um, though I don't think J- Damian Dame was a three or four year guy, but either way, you know, it takes a second longer to be noticed, especially when you you're not someone like Ja who is a fen- phenom. You know, like Ja Moran is kind of the exception to that, where yeah. you're such a phenom and you're so dominant that everyone can't help but notice. Like I get how uh, you know a smallish wing. Uh, who hasn't gone through all the measurables of the combine might have slipped through up until now. But I have a feeling that whoever gets this guy is not going to be disappointed in the player they get. Yeah, I I like him a fair bit. Uh, I have him seventh. Um, I really like the playmaking. Like you look at some of the reads he makes in the pick and roll and he's like, they're they're brilliant and i think that kind of basketball iq always jumps out to me especially when you're looking at players in this range because if you have that level of understanding when you kind of have those natural passing gifts and uh you you have that vision i just feel like those guys are very coachable it's really easy to find a spot in the rotation and it bodes well for their understanding of the game as a whole um so he's exciting to me but i just with the age the the lack of athleticism I have him a little lower. I have him seventh, but the riser over top of him is Dalen Terry for me. And even though the numbers aren't as good for Terry, when I look at the highlights, when I look at the breakdowns of him, the passing is brilliant. And that's, like I said, I really, really value that playmaking. And to me, that is such a positive indicator, especially when you pair it with the fact that he is already a dominant defender at the college level, whereas Jalen Williams will have those breakdowns. Uh, He will close out flat-footed. He will have moments where he looks very good on the defensive end of the court, but other times where there's just those lapses, and, and it's a question mark of whether or not he's going to put it together. That is not a question for Terry. And even though the offensive numbers aren't spectacular, I feel... Low volume. Very, very low volume. I feel like if he go went back to college for another year uh, with Matherin out of the mix, I feel like that's a guy that would explode and would be up there high on draft boards next year. And you 
put a guy like that, that by all accounts has an infectious personality, hard worker, uh, is just fun to play with. I feel like that he's someone that's going to be able to embrace the role the Cavs likely would have for him and thrive within that role. I mean, he was a glue guy, a really high-end role player for Arizona, and that would be what he would likely be asked to do with the Cavs coming in off the bench. So when you factor in the fact that he is a better athlete, I think his passing is actually better. Um, He didn't get to showcase a lot of his offensive game, and it wasn't at a high volume, but he did showcase tough shot making at times. It wasn't just like his percentages are good because it's all in transition and it's all easy setup shots, even though he does get out in transition. He is a tough shot maker. And when you combine that with the passing, the athleticism, the defense, the character, the the just how funny is to watch. That's why I have him so high on my board. I'm just not there yet. I think the volume scares me. I worry about picking someone who's jumper isn't quite as ready uh again i'm just gonna keep i i mean i'm just parroting a lot of spinello right now because his mm-hmm. stuff has been so good and um you know and i've learned a lot from him and you know he spinello kind of wrote that the jumper was never really there for him and then he kind of widened his base and it got there yeah um and you know so the, he kind of problems with the jump shot aren't like super like it's not like there's some hideous hitch or anything like that there's a lot of bad habits right like it, it's it's things like expanding the base and just getting like he will shoot well with good form at times and then other times on the move those bad habits come through and when you look at the Cavs history of that aspect of player development it's encouraging for me yeah i think uh you know that i think the fact that He's also like got he's he is a a guy Kobe Altman would would love because he is like apparently just shined in the interview process like everyone thinks this kid is such a good kid works super hard like just very infectious and you can you can picture Dale and Terry in a Cavs jersey in a Cavs locker room celebrating a win wearing the junkyard dog chain like it's all super easy to see mm. I will say I'm worried about the volume. I'm worried about the jumper um, and it it's just, you know, you see the flashes like he makes passes that a low volume offensive creator does not make. Yeah. Like some of those backdoor uh, bounce passes to cutters along the baseline are really advanced stuff. I just I'm just worried that he might be a guy who kind of disappears for a bit. And the other thing, and this is a smaller concern, especially if we're talking about a guy like Johnny Davis, but. I don't know if he's really going to be a three, even though he's six, seven, he's skinny. He's going to be a guard. He's going to be kind of like Danny green where he's a guard chaser uh, and uses his length to kind of stay connected to, to shift your guards hips rather Mm -hmm. than guarding big wings. So like, if I'm going to take a a taller guy with, you know uh, that, you know, if I, if I do think I have a long-term need at the three, I don't think he's scratching that itch. And I don't think his talent level is quite as high as Davis. Yeah. Uh, so I I, oh, yeah. I think they're I, kind I of similar players. Days. I think they're well, yeah, and I think they're kind of similar players, and like the value they bring, uh, it's just you know like th- there is just it just feels a little rich for my blood. Like if, if the Cavs had a chance to trade back into twenty twenty two, and he's still there, oh baby, I would love <laughs> for them to find a way to do it. I just don't know about fourteen. But with that said, if you love a guy, just take him. You know, yeah. like. 
So I, I'm not going to be mad if they take him, even though I think it's a little too high for him. That That's one thing that happens every single year where people will say, man, I really like this prospect at 14, but you know, like I'd feel more comfortable with him at 20. That is a thought process that only exists in mock draft season. Within 10 months, we are going to have redrafts where Desmond Bain isn't going 30 because, you know what, even though I kind of like his upside, he's older and we don't know how he's going to work out. Cam Johnson's laughing uh, or uh, Kobe White's laughing at Cam Johnson for for going so high when he probably should have gone over Kobe White. Like if you have confidence in a guy and you have confidence that you can develop him, uh, I think you just you take that guy if you feel he has the best upside. To me, it's. Dalen and Jalen are in very similar archetypes. Jalen's got a bigger body. I feel more confident that he can play at the three. It's just like if you look at Jalen last year uh, or or when he was the same age as Terry, you're talking about a guy in a worse conference on a worse team, averaging 11 points per game, shooting 40% from the floor and 27% from three. I just think, Terry, there's the potential that if he went back, you would see a very similar bump uh, in what he can do. And sometimes like the skill set comes through more than the volume. And that that might just be a case of us falling in love with the, the highlights. Uh, I'm certainly susceptible to that. I'm looking for reasons to believe why these guys are going to pan out. Uh, but for me, just the, the age, the athleticism, and just the fact that I feel like he's a better passer to me gives Terry the edge. I think that's fair. Um, and I kind of suspect Terry is going to be rising up my board. I think I have him at I have him at seven right now, yeah. uh, so not far from you. But I think he might jump up the the ranks for me. I'm going to kind of stick to my guns on my number five, and that's mm-hmm. Tari Eason. Yep. Um, you know, reported reports from Fedor that you know his workout was just okay. Um, uh, this is you know if Branham's the guy that you like that Spinella doesn't really care for, Eason's mine. He's yep. 26 on uh on on Spinella's big board um i get it he can't go left at all he's not an ambi turner um he doesn't have the best hoop iq his playmaking uh you know numbers are not good assist to turnover ratio whatnot uh he's probably much more of a four than a three and if he's a three for the Cavs, it's probably more of a byproduct of their roster than than you know than easton himself but i'll tell you what I'm in love with the raw athleticism. I'm in love with the activity level. This is a guy who's going to make four huge mistakes, but hopefully six monster awesome plays, you know, like (laughs) power forward. Marcus smart is what you're hoping for. (laughs) Yeah. In a lot of ways, he is the anti Isaac Okoro. Okoro is the guy who is very fundamentally sound. Won't overextend himself. Mm -hmm. Won't, uh, won't make very many mistakes, but can very much disappear for long stretches. Tari Eason will never disappear. You're going to notice him. Yeah, he, he's a stock king, which I love on the defensive end. I think it's so indicative of his activity. I think if he does make mistakes, the Cavs are particularly well positioned to insulate him. I think he unlocks um, quote unquote small ball lineups that aren't that small with Mobley uh, at the five and him at the four. He can still be that rim protector and chaos creator uh, and allow Mobley to more ably just stay on the back line and protect. I just I just like the guy. I think he can play. I think that the IQ stuff is a little overblown. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And I don't think the Cavs are going to be in a position where they are asking him to make high-level offensive reads anytime soon. Yeah. So, like, I just, I just, I'm not backing off this one. I, I understand there's other prospects that might have leapfrogged him, but I don't feel like I'm cooling off on him as much as other, uh, as mu- much as other people in the basketball community. Yeah, uh, I'm still high on Eason. I have him eighth. Um, the reason for the shift, I, I think you actually put it really well, where it's not me necessarily cooling off of him. It's just I'm prioritizing playmaking a little more. And as I've looked into some of these other guys, that to me is the biggest difference maker and the thing that I'd really like to see add added because I think when you have a lot of playmakers, you can have a more versatile offense. And I also think you can take advantage of flawed players that are just a little bit more of role guys. You're more traditional three and D's. Like you look at Andrew Wiggins and the success he's having with Golden State right now. And he's not necessarily like a catalyst. He's not out there like making other guys better. A good game for Andrew Wiggins is him performing and making shots within his role. And I think that that's something you can do when you have a lot of playmaking on the floor. And I just feel like the Cavs have such strengths in a lot of different areas. And playmaking is the one area where they really, really lack. So that's why guys like Terry and Williams moved ahead of him for me. But I still really, really like him. And that activity is one of the main reasons for that. I think in a lot of ways, an Eason pick is betting on Mobley taking another couple steps as a playmaker. Yeah. Um, Right now, Mobley is a connector more than a playmaker. If he is able to take, you know, a little bit more of a usage and ownership of that part of the Cavs game, it's easier to accommodate a guy like Eason uh, on the floor, especially at the three. The four, I mean, I think he could play as a backup four for this team right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, maybe not just because Kevin's here and Kevin's definitely better than him, but in the right matchup, sure. But let's move on to number six, because this is a guy I actually don't love um, from a fit perspective for this team. I, I love him and I love that we both have him at six. Yeah, I I don't love him from a fit perspective, but like it's at the point in it 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 kind of we're at the point in the where the board is falling that I can't pass on his talent level, and that's uh, Jeremy Sohan. Tell tell me about Jeremy Sohan and why you love him so much because he's a life ruiner on defense. Like he is just such a freak athlete, and I think athlete is his main position. Um, I think that like you you look at kind of his self creation game, and it's not there. Uh, nope. There is there is spot up shooting and, and um, I, I have seen a lot of smart draft people point out the fact that they believe that he can at least be a catch and shoot guy. I believe he shot almost 37 percent on catch and shoot threes in college, w- which would be nice. Um, this is a guy that I, I think immediately is basically a four. Um, maybe he can be a small ball five uh, just due to his athleticism. Uh, maybe you can pair him with a guy like Kevin Love in the second unit and make that work. I just think if everything clicks with him, he is 100% like just a, a, a steal this late in the draft. He has so much talent. He has so much athleticism. His defense is at a ridiculous level. He can go one through five. And I think your worst case scenario with someone like him, like I, I think he's got a super high floor. I think worst case scenario, you're looking at someone like a Brandon Clark type impact. Little bit different in their archetype, but just someone that can come in with the second unit and make a major, major difference. And to me, Sohan is just a flat out talent play. Like it's, 
he blows me away with what he's capable of doing on a basketball court, despite how raw he is. Yeah, and I think there it is important to know a one through five defender. Like it said a lot, there aren't very many people who can do it. Yeah, um, like probably can count on two hands people who can do it against even decent ones or decent fives. Typically, you're giving up something in a pretty major way, and I think you're right. He can absolutely do that. I if the Cavs take him, I will get very very excited. I'm worried about the lack of on-ball wiggle. Uh, yeah. Even Eason has a little bit more verve to his straight-line drives. Um, you know, I, the, I saw a few plays that were, like, supposedly highlighting Sohan's off-the-dribble <laughs> off game, and it's like he's just not shaking these slow college bigs, um, and I don't think he's an, as explosive of an athlete as Eason is. So he doesn't just have the cheat code of, activate rocket boosters and yam yeah. on people on the offensive end. I think defensively, you're right. He is not as high of a stocks guy as Eason. Um, so, you know, he's going to be a little bit more of a hybrid between the Okoro, just lockdown, don't mess up, and the Eason yeah. chaos engine, which I, I think he's the best defensive prospect uh, of the group, um, of, of those three names, uh, for his for his ability to kind of ride, ride the line there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I just think, and, and and it's also worth noting, he also unlocks those Mobley at the five lineups that are a little different than the Jarrett-Mobley pairing yeah. um, in terms of how they can defend. So I like that from a versatility standpoint. I'm just, I don't see the playmaking everyone else seems to, especially as a passer. I mean, I haven't seen that many clips where I've seen him make advanced reads. Um and his assist numbers aren't that good. So I'm probably just missing something because I haven't d- dived in enough with him. But that's where I'm at. I'm fine. I'm fine with Jeremy Sohan. And he's more talented than I think anyone else that I, I'm going to have on my list. So I'm fine with it. But I'm not like he isn't one of the first names that jump into mind for me. Yeah. I, I mean, if he could at least hit a catch and shoot three, you could close with he, Mobley, and Allen. And that is impossible to score on like that. It doesn't matter who you could put me and you as the, the starting backcourt and, and they, God knows not we're not gritty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he, he's just exciting to me. That's a talent play. That's a, that's an upside swing. You'd be betting on your player development, which I think no matter who you pick at 14, you're kind of betting on that player development. Um, from there, I, I think we have some overlap. I, I yeah, genuinely... we, we can, we can fly through seven, yeah. and seven yeah, I, and your eight pick. Yeah, I have Jalen Williams, seven, Tari Eason at eight. Uh, Carter, who do you have at eight? So at seven, I have Dale and Terry. So that so we've we've already discussed him. At eight, I'm I'm ready to go Agbashi at this point. Mm-hmm. Um I, I know you have him ten. Um I just think that spoiler alert. Sorry. Um uh, I just think at this point, like if you're this far down your board, it means a lot of the guys you fell in love with are gone already. Mm-hmm. And this is the ultimate safe pick. And I, I, I was sitting here, I was sitting, I was doing laundry yesterday and just thinking about this pod. Cause I actually sometimes think about the pod <laughs> and uh, I was going to, I was thinking about Igbaji and why I'm in kind of where I feel about him. And I'm, I got to this like kind of one sentence career, I think, or one sentence like summation of the career. I think he's going to have, I think he's going to be in the league at least a decade but it might be in the same way that Tony Snell has been in the league for like a decade. Goodness, <laughs> like, 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 and that's no criticism. But Snell is a guy who's always going to stick around because he's got wing size. He can eat minutes and he can shoot. 
Yeah. He he can't shoot awesome, but he can shoot. He can hit an open corner three. He's not going to make terrible mistakes, but you're always going to be a little bit like, why isn't Tony Snell better? Like he's like, <laughs> he's a great 2K player that like, you know, that you wonder why he's not quite there. And and I think that I think that that's kind of where I am with Igbaji. I think there is a version of him that is almost Danny Green-esque. I think mm-hmm. that's the Uber ceiling, you know. And there's there's a lot of comparisons with 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 those two players where it's it's the three-point shooting, uh the the volume three-point shooting. It's the playing at a at a major program for several years before uh catching on. Um it's the defense. It's the absolutely zero shot creation past one dribble. It's it's not. There's no no assists happening here. No rebounds really happening here. Carter, this, Carter, guy, this Carter. guy is just a smart player, and I think that's where where that's his best case archetype. Carter, you're you're putting way too much into this creation. Boston made it to the NBA Finals without a single player that can dribble. I, I think Abaji can definitely have a role. I I would feel good about him. I wouldn't get super excited, but I would kind of be like the Cam Newton head nod gif where I just like, I'm so confident that he's going to be a rotation player in the NBA. And I, I think he slots in and fills needs for the Cavs. Um, there's probably some upside there uh, if he can really develop that off ball game. Uh, he, he's really active coming off of screens, uh, those catch and shoot, the, the shots off of motion. Uh, there's definitely things that within that skill set that the Cavs could really use. So I would get excited about that aspect. But yeah, it's not a, a super high upside swing. I have him 10th, uh, but I, can, I would can definitely I, can be comfortable Can I ask you with this? It. Yeah. Like the thing, you know, like when you hear like, you know, prototypical Danny Green, that sounds good. But like, the, you know, Danny Green is on, a guy like that is on a knife edge from being out of the league a lot of times. And he, Danny Green almost was out of the league. He was like, twice got by the Cavs and the Spurs. So, like, do you think it is worth taking a player whose best case scenario is Danny Green? I, I don't necessarily agree with that just because there is the athleticism to his game. Like, I, I think... When you, I think you're when, underrating the kind of athleticism Danny Green had as a young man. I know. He, he, could, he was he so could good dunk. with those chase down blocks. I know he could dunk, but I, I just... Yeah, you know, I, I, I got to marinate on that a little bit. I, I don't know if I'm comfortable saying that's his best case scenario, but I do think that that's a high end outcome. I think it's a hell of a best case scenario, by the way. It's just, I, I think it's, it's a high end a... outcome for him. I think it's a high end outcome for him. But yeah, it, I, it obviously helps when you're drafted uh, at 14th or, or kind of that mid to late lottery, early 20s, that range. Like your likelihood of sticking in the league is a little different than someone like Danny Green. Um, so he'll probably get more looks and, and get to stick around. But. It, it it's not sexy, but I, I would feel good about it. Now, number nine has way more upside. We have the same player on our both of our, our boards here at, at number nine. And he just scares the hell out of me. My risk tolerance is so damn low. And it's Usman Jing. Uh, I just... The floor being as low as I think it is scares the hell out of me. Um, but he's got amazing size he's got great vision he can pick and roll ball handle uh he finished stronger uh, as the year went on i would definitely be able to talk myself into him if he was the pick uh i see the upside i i get the vision with him it's just when you look at the calves and you look at this core we have in place i 
there's just so much already there and I want a little bit more of a sure thing because I, I just want to keep the good vibes going. I think the heavy lifting is going to be done by guys that are already on this roster. So I would absolutely understand it. I just want someone else to take that risk. Like I, I, I'm just a coward at the end of the day. I think that if you're drafting a guy like Usman Jang, you have to accept the fact that there's a world in which he never plays 15 minutes a game in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the the raw numbers are so poor. Um, but then you watch the highlight reels and you know, you immediately understand why people have fallen in love with the guy and why he's a first round pick. He's enormous, 6'9, 6'10, good wingspan, good touch on his floater, can pass out of the pick and roll. How many 6'10 guys can pass out of the pick and roll and make advanced reads? Not that many. Um, he plays soft as can be. I mean, tissue paper soft uh, does not use his body to get into guys' chest at all. It's all length and 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 you know wraparounds. Um, I I think that this is just the point where I'm like, ah, screw it. <laughs> like I I I think one of a player on you know that we've already listed will be available at 14, especially a guy like Dalen Terry Terry and Jalen Williams. But I get why the Cavs would make this move. Because if you do, if they do really believe in this kid, and you think you've got you know an evolutionary Nick Batum, mm-hmm. uh, a six ten guy who has shown some catch and shoot proficiency, can run a pick and roll. I mean, how many times have we said, Justin, this team needs a big, comma playmaking, comma wing, a billion times, and this is what this guy projects to be. Um, it's just. You know, you've said a few times like you want whoever it is to have one and one defined, no doubt NBA skill right away. That is not Usman Jeng. Like, and when we say he's a good pick and roll creator and pick and roll passer, that means he shows flashes of being a good one. He is not yep. a consistently good one. Yep. Um, and he is playing against grown men. It must always be accounted for. Um, he is not playing against you know Tulane or or some of these small schools with against fellow eighteen year olds. But the numbers are raw, and I think the tape is just as raw a lot of the times. Um, and I, you know, I, I, this, nine feels right for me for this kid. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's he's exciting. I'm just a coward, and I want a little bit more of a sure thing, even though I understand the fact that there are no sure things. Um, like we're we're all guessing. Uh, at the, and at the end of the day, you and I have had some wildly bad draft takes because we come to the party late every single year and and we try to come up with somewhat informed opinions but at the end of the day we don't know these guys well enough to kind of project what their future is going to be even the experts can't right so we're just kind of making our best educated guesses when it comes to these guys um I, I don't think we need to go over our number 10s just because I had a Baji and you had Branham uh, I think you're a yeah, little I, too- I, I, I want to ask you that's our number one difference uh, yeah. or in terms of uh, you know, disparate takes. I mean, they're six spots apart. Yeah. You have random at four. I have them at 10. Yeah. Do you think you'll, I'm, you'll be wrong. Do you think I'm crazy? Uh, I don't think you're crazy because I, I think all of these guys are good. Like I, I think there's good prospects. We haven't even touched on as, as we do our 10 here. Um, I think this tier within the draft is deep and a lot of it's going to come down to this situation. I'm actually really excited for a lot of these teams. Like I, as I look at these prospects, and I'm looking at the teams in the lottery, like all of those teams already have a fair amount of talent. 
and I, I think it's going to be really exciting. Like, I don't know if there's going to be a lot of all-stars coming out of this draft, but I think guys that move the needle for a lot of these lottery teams that already have young talent, I think this draft is full of guys like that. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about this draft class. Um, if Branham isn't available at 14, I, I hope he goes to a good situation. But I think the biggest difference between our evaluation of him is just how the shot creation is going to translate. And I... When you look at a guy with that kind of length and body control, I just think he figures it out because we've seen a lot of guys that don't have the greatest athleticism, uh, but have the length. They're able to find ways to make it work. And I think he's at that kind of talent level. But I do think this ties into kind of an interesting question, which is we, we both kind of talked about a risk tolerance when it comes to this draft. I want to know who's the worst player currently in the NBA that you would trade the 14th pick for. So don't think about matching salary or anything like that. That's a whole nother level that makes this question more complicated. But just straight up, if you could move the 14th pick for a player that's already in the draft or already in the NBA, sorry, who would you go for, Carter? Well, I'll tell you what, Justin. Chalk one against our uh, pre-show prep because I thought you told me to to account for salary oh, <laughs> when geez. I was when I was thinking through this. So, uh, you do, know, do you want uh, me to go first then? Uh, well, no, I, while I you got some, I got some and names. I got some, I got some names. I think the answer is Norm Powell. A little bit older, really? uh, a little bit older. Um, you know, uh, he's like I think he's almost thirty. Um. I think he's not a perfect fit. He's kind of an undersized three. Plays, you know, he's about six four, but he's kind of wide bodied, so he can play the three. Um, but I think he'd be really, really helpful. I mean, mm-hmm. if you could, if you could do Windler, Jetty, and some, you know, minimum flotsam in fourteen for a guy like Powell, which I, I don't think you can, to be very clear. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, just think about what level of stability on the wing a guy like that would bring to the team. I think he's the answer. Other names that rattled around my brain, obviously, I think Jeremy Grant. If you can get him for See, matching I, I think salary, he's too and, good. Uh, I think he's yeah. Too I think good he's too. I'm, I'm, yeah, I think he's. I think he's certainly better than Norm Powell, so he probably wouldn't qualify. Dylan Brooks popped into my head if Memphis is trying to get off money. Yeah, um, I mean, you're you're panning pandering to me as a Canadian. I wouldn't go there. It's funny because we actually asked this in the Discord like a month ago before we were really diving into this draft class. And at the time, I believe my answer was Josh Hart. Like Josh Hart to me was that line of a guy uh, that's not good enough for me. That's that's what I was going to say. It's changed to me. I think my answer now is Gary Trent Jr. And I think he was Toronto, on my list as well. I think Toronto would want more than that. But to me, this is more about the opportunity for upside. And that's why I wouldn't have an interest in someone like Norman Powell, because I mean, really like the fact that Toronto was afraid to give him the contract he's currently on to me is a bit of an indicator about how they think his health his upside. I mean, he's undersized at six, three. Um, that's a little bit of a red flag. And then Portland, he played well there, but they got queasy about that contract and wanted to clear up space. Again, not the most encouraging sign. Gary Trent Jr. to me has that right mix of age, upside, fit, already a proven commodity. There was an interesting debate in the Discord today where they were mentioning Kevin Herter as someone that is young, that fits well. We know he fits well. And realistically speaking, if the outcome of the 14th pick was someone like Kevin Herter, you're not that upset about it. Like that works out really well. But at the same time, 
I would bet good money that from 14 on, so the rest of the draft, if I'm taking the field versus Kevin Herter, I think the odds are really high that there is someone better than Herter available at the 14th pick and beyond. And to me, given where the Cavs are and given the fact that this is a house money type year, I think you take that upside swing and it would be really hard for me to move off of that pick just because of the reality of if like realistically speaking, the type of wings that could be available if you draft a guy and he hits those type of wings cost so much more once they're already in the NBA and it's going to take multiple first round picks that are lotto tickets in their own right and it's going to take matching salary. It might take a young player. I just think the opportunity cost is too high for me to settle when it comes to the 14th pick. I think it comes down to asset management too. Like, like if you trade, like let's say you decide Kevin Herter, you love his style of play. The guy's on a reported four-year, $65 million contract, making about $16 million a year AAV. And if you trade trade for him, you have to send out salary. You have to send out matching salary, so you got to get rid of you know a player who can play for you. You have to take on that long-term salary as opposed to cost-controlled rookies are really, really valuable. But I, I would just rather chips, go Abaji at that point. Like, yeah, if, if that's I think the so route too. you're going. So, so I just think like, I think it, it's a hard sell for me to imagine this pick being traded, to be honest. Yeah. I think that the cat with the team flirting as close to the tax line as they will be um, after they, if they re-sign Colin Sexton, I just think they're just not going to be in a position to be so inefficient uh, with with trading this pick from a fiscal perspective, unless they got a really good reason to be. Like, if Jeremy Grant's available, it's kind of the perfect three for this roster right now. Mm-hmm. I get it. You know, you you you're willing to to take that leap, but like for as as flawed of a player as a guy like Gary Trent Jr. or Kevin Herter, who are already making good money. I, I just don't think it's going to happen. I don't think it's good. I don't think it's smart asset management. And like the worst thing you can do in after a very promising year is accidentally box yourself into a corner with bat with salary that you have a hard time moving. Mm-hmm. And I think it's also important to remember, this isn't going to be the last chance the Cavs have to take a swing. Like, I, I think there are going to be swings in the future. Uh, I think, when yeah, like they at, could take Mark Williams. I mean, that would be a really interesting swing. Mike, I, I, I hate you. I hate you and your. I'm size. not. You know, I'm not lying either. That's why you hate me. Yeah, I, I, I know. I, I know you're being genuine, and that's he's what, not in my top ten. Isn't that good enough for you? That doesn't make it any better. I, I just. Uh, I, now, I'm now sorry that I have 11 players. I'd be happy with the Cavs taking. Oh, I've I've got more. I've got more than 10. Don't don't you worry about that. And, and even more that I could probably talk myself into. But this isn't going to be the last swing. Like there, there's very good chance that at some point a consolidation trade happens in the next five years, and you're going to take chances on guys in free agency. You're going to take chances on guys in, in trades. And you look at Golden State. You look at Boston. Those are teams that took a lot of chances and struck out like you have to be light on your feet you have to not double down when you've made mistakes or when uh, you've taken a chance on a guy and there isn't a good fit and I think the Cavs have done a good job of that in the past I think Andre Drummond's a great example of that uh, where hey took a swing because the cost was so low didn't work out 
you move on from it. You 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 advance and move on. Like the Cats are going to have other ch- chances to take a swing. I just think this is a really really great opportunity just because of the things you mentioned when it comes to rookie scale contracts when it comes to the fact that wings just aren't available in the nba and even someone like andrew wiggins like it it, that's a high-end outcome even though he didn't live up to expectations like if you look at kind of the the contracts and this was part of the discord discussion we were having today the conversation was okay like who's the next wing that maybe makes more money than you get in the open market but could be available via trade and when i was going down player salaries the like the next name after wiggins that came up was karis lavert like there's just not a lot of wings that get big contracts that don't at least live up to the value of that deal. Like they, they just don't exist. So I think that this is a, a real opportunity for the Cavs to, to take a swing. And even though my risk tolerance is maybe lower than theirs, you kind of got to give them the benefit of the doubt. Cause at the end of the day, like I fell in love with Jared Culver, man. Like I'm, I'm, I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I mean, we were, where we all have, we, both fell in love with Culver. In fairness, what, we what's your worst some... draft take in recent memory? Oh man, I'd have to actually go look at the drafts. I, I'd, <laughs> I'd have to think about it. But I, I mean, was I've so had... low on John Morant. I, I that draft class was a disaster for me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's that's pretty bad. That one's bad, Justin. I won't lie to you. I yeah. I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'd have to I'd have to think about that one. We'll we'll save it for a future pod because I'd have to really. Uh, I'd really have to put some thought into that one. Okay. Well, I remember my mistakes much easier than you, or at least I'm more honest about it, and, and I'm willing to open up to it. But you know what? That's that's fine. You, you just stay on brand, Carter. I'll I'll, I'll live with that. Uh, I guess this is a good place to wrap it up. Nine I, days, Justin. This thing's n- happening in nine days. Not only that, right after that, you're basically a week away from free agency and, and the kind of moratorium period. Like this is going to move incredibly fast, and I, I'm I'm excited. I'm nervous. I also just kind of want it to be over because I, I I want to take stock of where the Cavs are and actually kind of have some of those rotation discussions and, and stuff that we just can't figure out until we get a better idea of what the roster is going to look like. So big thanks to everyone that tuned in live on YouTube. Uh, we're actually 19 reviews away from 500 on uh, iTunes and and Apple right now. So if you guys want to go leave a review and get us up to 500, that would be really appreciated. If you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe. Click the notification bell so you know when we're going live. If you're listening via podcast, you can leave us a rating, leave a review, subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe, and help cook those books. If you want to be part of Chase Down's exclusive Discord chat, send a screenshot of the review to chasedownpod at gmail.com. However you choose to support us, we really do appreciate it. Make sure you guys are staying safe out there. Until next time, go Cavs.